it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello, folks. Welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. So former President Trump rang the warning bell for NATO countries who still don't pay their mandated share. By the way, non-payers include Germany, France, Italy and Canada. We've got Senator Marco Rubio will join us and respond to all that in just a few moments. And then Senator Tommy Tuberville will be here to talk about why it's a good idea, or at least it's not a bad idea, to negotiate with Vladimir Putin once in a while. And a bad idea to spend another $60 billion for Ukraine. And later in the show, Maisie Pillip, an Ethiopian Jewish immigrant, a legal immigrant, that is, who was once an Israeli IDF paratrooper, and she is running for Congress in Long Island in a race tomorrow that's all about securing our borders. What a big race that is. And, oh, by the way, if anybody cares, Joe Biden's budget is borrowing us into bankruptcy. I don't know if anybody cares, but we are a business show. First up, let's go straight to our own Edward Lawrence, who is standing by at the White House. Good afternoon, Edward. What's cooking down there? Yeah, a lot happening here at the White House. And on, on top of all of that, the president trying to divert attention away from special counsel Robert Hur's report that challenged his mental fitness. Uh, Democrats and administration officials are now trying to counter that narrative that's in the report. Today, White House press secretary attacking the special prosecutor himself. Listen. Special counsel Hur is, is, as far as I remember, is a is a uh, obviously a, a Republican, a a, a uh, a prosecutor, he's not a, he's not a medical doctor. He's just not. It's not for him to speak to. It's just not. It is uh, obviously up for uh, a medical doctor to decide on that. But look, I have said the pres- the, the medical doctor, the, the president's doctor is going to do a physical. He's going to and he has always put forth in the last two years a detailed uh, detailed memo. Well, so far, we have not been able to talk with the president's doctor. So today, the king of Jordan also visited the White House. He's still here, pushing a ceasefire. The Biden administration saying it agrees with an extended humanitarian pause. Now, the last big topic here, shrinkflation. President Biden blaming companies again for shrinkflation and inflation in a post on X. The former CEO of Chrysler and Home Depot says Americans know policies and global problems because of policies pushed inflation, not companies. I mean, this is just another ploy by this administration. I mean, the debacles that started his first day, energy prices, the debacle on going to EV, and now we're seeing a plethora of people being laid off, jobs being closed. So no, no, the, the, the general population will not be duped by this aversion to try and blame inflation on corporate America. And as you know, overall, CPI inflation is up about 17.6 percent since President Biden came into office. Tomorrow, we get another read on inflation. Larry? Maybe if, he'd, if they'd uh, quit spending their tuchuses off, we wouldn't have so much inflation. <laughs> but more on that in just a second. Edward Lawrence, thank you ever so much for your report. All right, folks, on this subject, a few thoughts from me. I mean, I really, I really want to still talk about how Joe Biden has absolute zero authority to take classified documents as a senator and as a vice president, or the incredible two-tier justice system where Trump, Trump has been charged with 40 criminal counts in the documents case 
while Biden gets zero charges. All this stuff still burns me up, but we are going to get to it over the course of the show. But there is a financial story that deserves more attention than it's getting, and that is the new congressional budget estimates that Joe Biden's baseline over the next 10 years, these numbers are a fiscal fiasco. Government spending and borrowing puts us squarely on the road to bankruptcy. Over the next 10 years, Biden's spending goes, get this, his spending goes from $6 trillion to $10 trillion. His budget deficit goes from $1.7 trillion to $2.6 trillion. His borrowing from the public goes, are you ready for this? From $26 trillion, which is bad enough, all the way to $48 trillion, which is unbelievable. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, gives us useful 50-year averages with which to compare. So Biden's spending as a share of GDP goes from 21% to 24. His borrowing goes from 48% of the economy to 116% of the economy. And even with all that government stimulus, the economy is projected to grow by barely 2% over the next 10 years. So, while on the one hand, the Federal Reserve is trying to restrain inflation, the Biden administration's massive spending and borrowing is really like an inflation accelerator. At least it has a potential. And by the by, even while all this government spending and borrowing has temporarily stimulated higher GDP growth, temporarily, it also, in part, what I call uh, the affordability crisis, where lower inflation recently does not delete the big price hikes over the past three years for essentials like groceries or gasoline or electricity. Ordinary working folks have lost nearly 5% of their real wages over the past three years. And this as a result of the lingering effects of Biden inflation. According to a recent tip poll, Six in 10 people live paycheck to paycheck, and 24% have zero emergency money in the bank. By the by, groceries up 20%, gasoline 34%, electricity up 24%, the overall CPI up nearly 17%, as Edward Lawrence said. And if you measure this on a pre-pandemic basis, middle-class family income went up more than 6000 bucks during the Trump years, has fallen Roughly $4,000 under the Biden regime. We've had better than expected GDP growth the last couple quarters. But much of it has come from government spending and borrowing. Meanwhile, the private business economy has been flat and may actually be in a recession. Now, you read about major layoffs in finance, for example, and tech. But you never read about layoffs in government, ever. Private wages are rising a little over 4%, but government wages are rising almost at a 10% clip. So like I say, the Fed may be trying to hold down the money supply, but with massive government spending, it's going to be hard to restrain inflation on any kind of permanent basis. And incidentally, the CBO numbers show it is a spending problem. It is not a tax revenue problem. Over the past 50 years, revenues have stayed at about 17% of GDP, and the CBO estimates that's about just where they're going to be in the next 10 years, leveling off at 17% of GDP. No, 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 no. It's the spending problem, stupid, or it's the borrowing, stupid, and it's got to stop. We need a growth budget 
that would thoroughly reform spending and the civil service bureaucracy that does the spending. We need something like the Grace Commission, which was established 40 years ago by President Reagan. And that thing found trillions of dollars of wasteful spending inside the federal government. We need to keep the Trump tax cuts permanent to maintain supply-side incentives for the private sector business rebound. And then here's the thought. How about a return to something called executive budget impoundment? That's right, budget impoundment. This was taken away about 50 years ago during the Watergate scandals, but it would be a very useful presidential tool to deregulate spending and red tape. So watch former President Trump talk a lot more about this in the weeks and months ahead. Lord knows we need it. Okay, we're going to pick it up in a little while with some of our budget experts. But first of all, joining us is Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Rubio. Senator Rubio, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, just one little thing. There's still, a, I don't want to dwell on this because there are other fish to fry. But the White House today in the news conference in the press room, they're still hacking away. Uh, at this guy, her. They're still hacking away at her, who all the leading Democrats praise when they first put him in as a special counsel. Now, you know, as you know, and I know, we've always talked about this. Um, uh, vice presidents and senators do not have the authority to remove classified documents. And he did. And that's in the her report, even though they're all beaten up on it. And I just thought I'd, I'd get your sort of weekend after take. Yeah, well, you've already pointed to in your intro about the double standard where Trump was charged and and this, you know, and Biden wasn't. But there's other double standards here. For example, apparently her is the only special prosecutor you're allowed to viciously attack and call names. Yeah. If you do it to Jack Smith, you're undermining the system, you're a threat to his family, but you can do it to, to her. And then the other thing, and I saw like a clip from the White House press conference, they're saying that he's not a doctor. They fundamentally misunderstand that. Here's very simple. What he found was all the elements of a crime have been met. Okay. But we have decided not to charge him because we believe he's suffering from age-related dementia. And we don't think a jury will convict him because of that. He'll be sympathetic, especially four years from now, because of these challenges. That's why they chose not to charge him. So one of two things are true either. Either he has age-related dementia and therefore shouldn't be charged, or he doesn't, according to what the White House says, and therefore should be charged. In essence, if he had a perfect memory, you don't need a doctor. They're relying on their interviews, and their argument is... We put this before a jury. The jury's not going to convict this guy. So if he, in fact, is not suffering from dementia, then her should have charged him. Either way, he either has dementia or he should have been charged with a crime. Those were the only two outcomes, and her decided not to charge him because of the dementia and memory issues. And uh, you don't need to die. That's not a medical uh, assessment. That is an assessment of what would happen in front of a jury. Actually, right. Uh, you know, I thought it's a good legal point. The fact is... It is illegal under the Presidential Records Act for vice presidents and or senators to take classified documents off campus. You know, they could, that stuff's got to go in the archives. And you want to write a book and talk to your ghostwriter, you can do it in a skiff in the National Archives. I mean, I understand right. that. The other thing, Senator Rubio, I just want to ask you, do you think, with respect to the classified documents, which we know were in Biden's possession as early as early as 2017 when he told his ghostwriter. 
Is that stuff about the Chinese energy company? Was that stuff about the Ukraine influence peddling? You see where I'm going on this? Will you all in the Senate and anybody in the House have a chance to take a look at what those classified documents really were? It was a part of Jamie Comer's uh, investigations. What do you think, Senator Rubio? Yeah, so we had a chance in the leadership of the intelligence community committees to review all of the disclosure cases that we've seen out there. And, and I did not personally see anything linked to that. That's about as far as I can go in describing it. Suffice it to say that in the, in the indictment, or I'm sorry, in the non-indictment report, it outlines the kinds of documents, notes about Afghanistan. Look, the guy was keeping stuff because he wanted to write a book and he wanted to make sure that it was recorded for posterity. That's why he did it. And they made the decision not to charge him. Uh, unlike Trump, where they, even though there's no allegation that he shared it with any foreign power or that anything's been disclosed, and in fact it was in a facility that was guarded by Secret Service agents and had full-time security, not some garage thrown in a box. I don't know if you saw those photos of the Biden garage. But in that case, they're, not, they're not alleging what's the, what's the crime, what's the harm that's been done to the injury to the nation. I'll tell you what has injured the nation is the fact they charged the president and they've ripped the nation apart and they've created this... A new normal where you're going to have a lot of pressure on future Republicans uh, to go after Democrats using special prosecutors in the legal system mm -hmm. to conduct lawfare like we're seeing now. So uh, they open a Pandora's box there. Senator Rubio, um, Donald Trump over the weekend in South Carolina kind of rang another warning bell about NATO countries that don't pay up their fair share. We have a full screen of this. Um, you know, uh, France didn't pay up its 2%. Germany didn't pay up its 2%. Italy, Canada, in other words, these are G7 countries, so-called wealthy countries, did not pay up. I mean, I think we've heard Trump say this before. He may have made some progress in his first term, but to me, what he said over the weekend in South Carolina, basically, he's just ringing the warning bell again. What do you think? Well, first of all, Trump was already president. And while Trump was president, we didn't destroy NATO. We had troops deployed uh, there. I, I remember being in Poland and meeting with American troops that were there. So we didn't see any attack on NATO. What Donald Trump has done is basically what every, virtually every president in American history, uh, in the history of NATO, has done. And that is complain that our allies don't do more. Trump simply expresses it differently than the other ones did. He expresses it in a story that he told. You know, uh, you know he, he used the story as a way to sort of describe his position on it, which is, if you, well, if you're not going to pay more. He was describing like a negotiating tactic of some sort. But it was not prospective. He did not say, if they don't pay up, I'm going to tell right. He was describing the story of something that he claims has happened in the past. I wouldn't have talked that way because I don't talk that way. But Donald Trump doesn't talk like a U.S. senator. He doesn't talk like people that have served here or are members of some foreign think tank. On the other hand, here's what we do know, and that is that Joe Biden is using all kinds of profanity and, and temper tantrums and leaking it to the press to go after Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that even as the Israelis and, the, and Israel is fighting for its very existence, you have an administration that's going out there and openly saying that they've gone over the top, that he hates Netanyahu, that, uh, you know, we don't like the way you're conducting your operation. He's actively, in a time of war, undermining an ally, undermining a country, and he's doing it to appease the radical anti-Semitic element of his base that exists. So, Senator, that's a key point. Let's stay, stay with that. Uh, that started, well, I don't know if it started, the night before the catastrophic news conference, Apparently, Biden swore at Netanyahu privately in front of a bunch of Democrats. Uh, the reports today are that Biden continues to swear at Netanyahu. I thought Netanyahu and Israel were our allies. Netanyahu wants to clean up now in the uh, south of Gaza. 
and um, finish the job off, and Biden is blocking him, and they're talking about some crazy two-state solution. I, I don't get any of this, Senator Rubio. I mean, I thought I Israel was our biggest ally, the only democracy in the Middle East. What in the world are the Bidens doing? Uh, they went to him and said that he's going to lose a bunch of pro-Palestinian voters in places like Michigan. You, they, they sent uh, emissaries from the White House to go eat, meet with anti-Semites, to go meet with people that are supporters of Hamas and Hezbollah, because these people are threatening. I, I guarantee you they've gone to the White House and said, political people have said, we're in trouble here. We have an element of our base that's really angry at us and is not going to vote for us. And so we need to put stuff out there to show that we're not 100% on Israel's side. And so you start seeing the leaks that he hung up on Netanyahu, that he swore at him. You see this memo last week that comes out from the State Department about how we're not going to give aid to countries that target civilians, which Israel's not targeting civilians. Unfortunately, in a war, civilians are caught in the way, in this case, because Hamas. Hamas could end this conflict tomorrow. They should, they should surrender. But they'd rather have every civilian die in Gaza than surrender. Uh, they, they, you know, so he has a press conference that says how oh, they've gone over the top. All of this is designed to appease that radical, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, pro-Hamas, pro-Hezbollah, pro-Iran element in his own party because he's afraid of losing their support and their votes. And, uh, and some of those elements, by the way, find themselves in the bureaucracy of this country. I don't know if you saw a picture about a couple months ago, a bunch of White House staffers or executive branch staffers standing out in front of the White House in protest, demanding ceasefire, obviously with their faces covered. Mm -hmm. A bunch of cowards in the State Department signing a letter condemning the administration's position on Israel. Of course, none of them would put their name on it. Some of these people are, might be ambassadors or future ambassadors. We don't know who they are because they're in hiding because they're cowards. But that's embedded in our government right now. And that's who he's trying to appease. It's incredible. Uh, for, by the way, uh, there may be some Iranian cutouts in the government. Uh, one guy, the guy Mali, we still yeah. don't know why he lost his security clearance. And there may be others as well, so spot on in that. Um, Senator Rubio, last one I just want to mention. Uh, no, actually, i got two more. Quick, Ukraine money, $60 billion. Senator Rand Paul was on this show, I think, Friday or Thursday. He wants a minimum uh, inspector general. He wants some accountability. He'd like an off-ramp negotiations. Uh, what do you think about the $60 billion and that whole package? Well, first of all, 20 billion of the 60 billion is to buy back the weapons for ourselves that we gave them, right? So we gave them weapons. Now we don't have them. We need to go out and buy them to replace them for ourselves. So that's 20 of the 60. I think it could be fixed. But ultimately, I would say that I want Ukraine to have the strongest possible hand in a future negotiation with Putin. But that's what's going to happen in this conflict. And the, and the stronger Ukraine is, the better the terms are going to be at the end of the conflict when that day comes. And so I do, I don't think our, I, we have a national interest. I don't think it's unlimited and forever, mm. but I also don't think it's zero, as I've described. My problem is we are here, we met through Super Bowl week, and all of it is fine with me. What I wonder is what people back home are, are saying to me, and that is you guys will stay up there for days at a time, cancel trips, whatever it is you're going to do to help other countries with their invasion. But you never do that for us. We have an invasion right. going on right now. Right. And you won't give that priority. And so I think Americans are tired of always being told they're second, second yeah. to another country, second to an interest group, second to something, uh, the global economy, whatever it might be. They're tired of it. And I think that's being exposed here, how out of touch politics has become, including you know, people in both parties, with uh, what the priorities are of everyday working Americans. Last 40 seconds, Senator Rubio. Uh, President Xi says it's time to integrate Taiwan into the rest of China. I know you've thought and spoken a lot about this. Here we go. This isn't the kind of integration that I look forward to. Well, he's talking about a takeover, and that's been their plan. That's part of his legacy. He, he views that as part of his legacy. I continue to believe that we won't finish this decade 
without probably seeing some sort of real conflict over that potentially, unless we can do things to deter it and, and buy ourselves some time. You know, maybe the next Chinese leader will have the same ambitions. Mm. But right now, we've got to make it as hard as possible for them uh, to achieve that and so that that calculus changes. But, but Xi's never made any mystery about it. I mean, he intends to move on this one way or the other before the end of this decade. Senator Marco Rubio, Florida. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it very, Thank very you. much. Okay. Thank you. Coming up, folks, uh, here on Cudlow, Joe Biden is borrowing us into bankruptcy. All right? It's a whole separate topic. Maybe not as sexy as some, but I got to tell you, it's inflationary. It's going to damage the economy. We will talk about it with former OMB Budget Director Russell Vogt and former Congressional Budget Director Douglas Holtz Eakin. They know something about this. They'll be next up. I'm Kudlow. Lots more to cover tonight. We're going to wind up negotiating with Putin also. Not the worst thing in the world, is it? Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, Joe Biden is borrowing us into bankruptcy, as I said earlier. It's kind of a fiscal fiasco. So let's talk about it for a moment or two. We welcome back Russell Vogt, former OMB budget director and president for the Center for Renewing America, and Douglas Holtz-Eakin, president of the American Action Forum, and here's the key point, a former director of the Congressional Budget Office. How about that? Now, gentlemen, um, this is just bad, all right? I don't, you guys know the numbers better than I know the numbers, but I'm just saying it's all about spending from, uh, what are you going, from uh, $6 trillion to 10 trillion, 50-year uh, average is being violated by three percentage points GDP. The deficit more than doubles. Debt held by the public goes from 26 trillion to 48 trillion in 10 years. It looks like it's a spending problem, not a revenue problem, according to the CBO. So, Doug Holtzikin, um give us your uh, sort of quick overview of these numbers. I call it the fiscal fiasco. Well, the numbers are bad, Larry. As you, as you pointed out, there are uh, there, uh, things we've never seen before. We're going to have the highest level of debt relative to GDP we've ever had in our nation's history. That includes World War II. Uh, we're going to spend more on interest than we do on the Pentagon within five years. 
Uh, we have just an enormous amount of leverage in the budget that exposes us to interest rate risks. So the numbers are terrible. The economics are terrible. Right? This is a recipe for continued excessive fiscal stimulus. The Fed will have to lean against it. Mm. A loose fiscal policy and a tight monetary policy just chokes off investment in infrastructure, chokes off investment in technologies and business models and, and the human capital. And, and, we, and you get a, a chronic slow growth problem. And so we need better trend growth in the United States. This is not a recipe for better trend growth. It makes everyone's life harder. And it doesn't deliver a standard of living to the American public that they deserve. So it is time to recognize that the decision to spend a dollar is a decision to tax a dollar somewhere in the future. And that future taxation and the current spending are a recipe for bad growth. And we need to do better than that. You know, Resfo, one of the interesting things, our friend Larry Lindsay writing about this, among others, uh, government wages are rising more than twice the rate of private sector wages. And actually, Dougie Holtz-Eakin said on this show, I don't know, a week ago or more, that business may be in a recession, or at least business is flat. Lindsay makes the same point. I've remarked on how flat manufacturing is. So government spending, okay, you're getting temporary stimulus and you're getting some temporary consumer spending. But this is no long-term growth palliative, Russ vote. No, it's not. And I think that's what's going to explain when we look back uh, historically and economically about why the numbers are being propped up for this administration economically, is that they're benefiting from massive government spending, massive deficit spending. And just to give you a sense of how far worse it has gotten, when we left office, our, our annual interest bill was about $350 billion. That is now, in this report, $870 billion in just a few short years. And it's going to get worse. And so it is approaching defense as, a, as something we thought really was only within the 10 years uh, of, the, of the window. So each and every data point is showing the recklessness of our fiscal situation. They continue. Their strategy is we're going to keep spending as much as we can and we're going to put it on the Fed. The Fed can figure out how to deal with it. And that's really been their approach. And unfortunately, you know, a report like this shows the, the the, the difficult situation we find ourselves in. Doug Holtzikin, I actually yeah. want to have, I want to have my cake and eat it too. In the next budget, we have a new <laughs> administration, okay? I want my cake. I want it the right flavor with the right icing. I want to cut spending big time, but I also want to grow the economy by curbing regulations and maintaining uh, the Trump tax cuts, the personal tax cuts. I want to do all three of those things. Now, I, I would maintain you could do all three of those things. I'm going to give you the first whack at it, and then I'm going to give uh, Russ Vote a whack at it. Well, I think step number one, which uh, you understand because you live through it, is you stop doing all the regulation that this administration is doing. They have put on the books $450 billion of regulatory costs already. Mm. And if you take their unified agenda at face value, they're going to put another $250 billion on in the first quarter. That is an unbelievable stealth tax on the American economy. Mm. So you get, you get bad growth. What do you do? You spend tons of money to get artificial stimulus. So if you stop the, the regulatory onslaught, mm -hmm. that frees you up to not have to rely on the spending. And then you just have to go back and remember that 2017 was an enormously successful pro-growth tax reform. And we can do more of that, not just renew, yeah. renew what we have, yeah. do even more. Good. Then you have a growth component, like you have it. a regulatory component, and you get the spending under control. I got a minute for Russ vote, Russ. I want, I want another Peter Grace commission, and I want to restore executive budget impoundment authority. 
Let's say you, Russ, vote. Peter Gray's budget and pound. That's what I want. That's my wish list. I love where your head is at. I love where President Trump's head is at. (laughs) I believe that the loss of impoundment authority, which 200 years of presidents enjoyed, was the original sin in eliminating the ability from a branch on branch to control spending. And we're going to need to bring that back. And I think you can bring it back. And I'm, I'm excited about how President Trump intends to do it. And to your point, you can do all of those things in the budget because I have done it with growth, with spending reductions, with bureaucracy crushing and with welfare reform. You can have a, a budget that addresses our fiscal insolvency yeah. and one that uh, that keeps the American pe- people free and prosperous. Right. I'm telling you, both of you guys, Russ Vogt, Douglas Holzikin, you're going to be in there pitching. You're gonna, I'm going to be here reporting. You guys are going to be in there pitching and figuring out how to do it. It's going to be great fun. Thank you for coming on the show. We will continue this conversation. All right, here, coming up on Kudlow, what's wrong with negotiating with Vladimir Putin? Just negotiate. We may hate him, but we can negotiate with him. We're going to ask Senator Tommy Tuberville, plus we'll talk politics with Mark Simone and Alec Lace. All that when Kudlow returns. I want my cake, and I want to eat it, too. Low taxes, high growth, budget impoundment. I can't wait. Welcome back, folks. So here's a question. What's wrong with negotiating with Vladimir Putin, even if we don't like him, even if we hate him? Can you negotiate with him and talk to him in foreign affairs? Joining us now, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who dared to suggest that we could talk to uh, Vladimir Putin, and everyone's piling on. I don't know, Senator Tuberville, I've seen worse in uh, foreign relations history. We've negotiated with a lot of bad actors, but I wouldn't mind seeing anybody trying to negotiate this Ukraine-Russian war. So what's your response? All these people are piling on you. Well, diplomacy, Larry. Ah. They, have no, they have no clue up here about that. Uh, you know, we, get, we need to get this over with for the American people and for Ukrainians and the Russians. This needs to be over. But nobody wants to talk about it. It's uh, whatever, whatever we have to do. That's Joe Biden's game plan. Well, Ukraine can't win. Now, the people now in Washington, D.C., after we've already given them $120 billion, they don't know how to get out of this. So what do we do? We're going to double down. We're going to send them $60 billion more billion of the taxpayers' money, by the way, that we don't have. And it's not going to make any difference And for six or seven months, even if it were to pass the House, which I don't think it will. So it's not an immediate help. We're giving weapons from Israel to Ukraine. I know you saw that probably in the New York Times. Our weapons that are stored in in Israel are going to Ukraine. It doesn't help. Vladimir Putin wants out of this. You heard that on Tucker Carlson. Diplomacy. What happened to diplomacy? I don't know how you end a war unless you talk to, um, you know, somebody you don't like. I don't understand that. That's why I don't understand all this yelling and screaming. Uh, so Putin said to Tucker, he's ready to talk peace. I don't know if he's ready to talk peace, but there's nothing wrong with exploring it. That's what Trump wants to do. I take it you support that point of view. And by the way, Trump also wants the NATO countries to pay their fair share, which they don't. You know who the worst offenders are? The so-called wealthiest, Germany, France, Italy, Canada. Not a single one of those G7 countries have paid their fair share. And everyone's piling on Trump because he rang that warning bell as well. I don't get it, Senator. Well, I don't either. And and they know better. NATO is supposed to have 2% of the GDP. President Trump went over there in about, what, 2017 and said, listen, uh, you're either going to pay up or we're out. Uh, you're going to have to pay your fair share. 
we're paying almost everything. Last week you saw where the EU voted. We're going to give 50 billion euros to Ukraine. Well, they're only going to do uh, a fourth of that each year for four years, which is a little over 12 billion. And then it can't be used for lethal aid. It goes into their government, their their uh, pension plans, because uh, they don't have any money right now. Supposedly their economy is not any good. The American taxpayer can't afford this, Larry. We can't afford it, but we're going to pass another $60 billion. But again, hopefully, hopefully the House doesn't pass this and we don't get farther and farther in debt. Just the last one, Senator Tarville. So this bill may or may not pass. Negotiations with Putin probably aren't going to happen. But as I understand it in the last minute, nothing is going to happen with our border problem. We have a southern border problem. We also have a growing northern border problem where terrorists are being caught left and right coming in from Canada. And so so nothing's going to happen on that border. Is that right? Well, no, nothing's going to happen. Uh, you know, we, we had an ace in the hole as Republicans to to try to get the Democrats to come our way some, Larry, and put a fix to the border. But we basically screwed it up, okay? Mm. Our leadership uh, screwed it up. We, we didn't ask for enough. Uh, we kind of went along with what they wanted to do, uh, limit 5,000 per day. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's not a border bill. That's a border giveaway. Mm. We cannot continue to do this. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing how we thought, our people, our leadership, thought that we were going to go along with this. So we voted it down. Now the, the, the warmongers are going to pass this, this money for Ukraine. They're going to fly right over our border this Friday. They're taking uh, Codell, and they're going to go over and give them a check or whatever, or think they're going to, tell them that we passed in the Senate, and we're not going to do anything to our border. It, is, it, should, be, it should be against the law what we're doing up here. It's just absolutely mind-boggling to me how we can forget about the American citizens. You know what, Senator Turberville? This thought occurs to me. It is time for a change. It is time yeah. for some major changes, okay? I've just, just a random thought that just popped into my head listening to your wisdom. We need some change. <laughs> we need some change, Larry. We're borrowing $80,000 a second right now. Yes, sir. And $7.6 million a minute we're borrowing right now. We can't continue that. No, we can't. Senator Tommy Tuberville, I wish I had more time. Thank you, sir. We appreciate Thank it very, you. very much. All right, folks, we're going to continue this conversation with Mark Simone, WOR radio host, and Alec Lace, host of the First Class Fatherhood podcast. Gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, it's time for change. Uh, Mark, I have Bolton for you. Uh, Joe Biden is going to remain in, as president. He's going to be the Democratic candidate for president. He will not be taken out by the 25th Amendment or other plots from Kamala Harris. None of the above. That's all. I'm just challenging you. Please feel free to disagree. Don't jump out of the chair. But just anything you want. Yeah, we're lucky he's available. <laughs> so um, doing a hell of a job. <laughs> you know, yeah. 380 million people in this country. We've got this guy. This doesn't make any sense. 380 million people. We've got Kamala Harris as vice president. I don't think Biden makes it. You know, whenever there's... Something that takes out a president, whether it was Watergate or whatever, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks for it to really sink in and do the job. So uh, I don't think Biden gets out of this. You already see the vultures circling. Hillary is all over television. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, wants to take Mrs. over. Mrs. Wilson will not allow it. <laughs> Mrs. Wilson, a.k.a. Mrs. Biden, will not allow it. Alec, you got to explain it. So let me get this right. We're going to have a cabinet meeting. And surprise, Kamala stands up and says, Joe, it's time for you to go. Everyone who agrees with me, raise your hand. Then he's out. I mean, I've been 
to many cabinet meetings in my time. That's not how it works. I don't believe this for a second. No. And listen, let's be honest. Uh, Kamala Harris is the DEI vice president. She's not there. She's only there because she's a woman of color, not because she can lead. The only thing she's leading people to is the word salad bar, right? She's accomplished nothing. I feel dumber every time I listen to her speak. I think most Americans would agree. And I, I, let, let's see. I think that, you know, she matches up well with Trump. I think Trump would bury her in an election in, uh, in November. But there's going to be other fish to fry there. I think you're going to see Michelle Obama throw her hat in the ring, maybe a Gavin Newsom. I don't think there's any way that Biden... Her hats are already in the ring. Yeah, I think we'll see one of those two. I, I think it'll be but Gavin how do you or... get rid of... But you think by... You, what, you think party elders like Durbin, I don't know, Mitch McConnell, who maybe forgets he's a Republican. I don't know how this... Chuck Schumer. They go... It's like Watergate. And they say you got it to, to Nixon. But he, you'll never convict, convict Biden of a crime... He, he doesn't have his marbles. The whole country knows he doesn't have his marbles. But there's not going to be a don't have your marbles test. They'll never allow it. Again, Mrs. Wilson will not allow a don't have your marbles test. There's still a lot of opportunity for uh, Biden to fall down the steps of the plane again. As something like that could happen, falls in the tub. I mean, something like that could take him out. I mean, he could go out at any minute, this guy. Hey, at this point in 1968, Lyndon Johnson was not going anywhere. At the end of March, it was a whole different matter. It takes it takes a while. But and if you've got Kamala Harris watching your back, you're in real trouble. Robert Kennedy ran that ad during the Super Bowl. Yeah. and The whole country freaked out against it. Yeah, this is not a good start. No, I mean, really. And then he had to apologize. And I mean, it wasn't that bad. It was a retro ad. He was obviously borrowing from his uncle and no one liked it. So who's tell me again, who's going to challenge Biden? Uh, if huh? he drops out, you're going to have a primary. Drop have... out? Where's he going to drop out? I mean, wait a second. Corinne Jean-Pierre said today he works every hour harder than anybody she knows. I just didn't know which hour she was referring to during the day. He doesn't work. He doesn't work an hour, but you'll never know that. In her world, I believe her. <laughs> I don't think anybody works there. Lace, help me. I mean, let's be realistic politically. How does this happen? I don't believe it. I think the only way it does happen is if he decides not to run. They're not going to impeach him, unfortunately. They're not going to get him out of office. He's not, you know, I think the only way it works is if he says, I'm not going to run again. He's going to have I mean, to that, do it. That's the only way it happens. He'd have to get very sick or something, and then he would take himself out, and his wife will take him out. That's the only way that'll happen. Yeah, that, and that would be what we would need to see. But then again, I think both of them match up great against Trump, all these people. I think Trump is going to sail right in, in, into office here after the November elections. I don't think Biden stands a chance against him this time. We can see, obviously, the guy's not cognitive there. Uh, you're going to have, I still say you're going to, you're not going to see him in November on the ticket. I, I find it hard to believe one way or the other by hook or by crook. This guy ain't going to be there. I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, we're going to bring in Mazzy Pillup in just a minute. This is kind of a bellwether for this whole story that uh, Alec and you are describing. Alec Lace, thank you. Mark Simone, thank you. Uh, Joe Biden taking a marbles test. I don't see it coming up, folks. The border and the migrant crisis the top issue in tomorrow's special congressional election in Long Island, New York. We're going to talk to Republican candidate Mozzie Pillip. She, uh, she could win this one against the Democrat about this issue and Joe Biden's marbles. We'll talk about that. I'm Kudlow. Be right back. The border crisis, the top issue in tomorrow's special congressional election here in Long Island, New York. Joining us, Mozzie Pillip, Ethiopian Jewish immigrant who was once an Israel IDF paratrooper. She's running to keep the seat. 
Uh, Mazi, if I may call you that, thank you for coming on. This seems like this is all about border security and the immigration catastrophe. Uh, your opponent, Swazi, was in favor of sanctuary cities not so long ago. Tell us about the race, please. Hi, Larry. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, it is all about securing our borders, the migrants, the crisis that we are all facing as a nation. That's the unfortunately time Swazi created together with Biden. And people are very much worried about this. Uh, therefore, tomorrow we will see a lot of people coming out to vote um, to secure the borders. Um, and I'm very confident uh, we're going to win this election because it's about the safety of uh, our country. And under Biden and the squad members and Thomas Wazi, uh, it's not going to happen. They are putting the American people at risk, and we have to save our country. Can we get rid of sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, point number one? And number two, if, you get, if you get elected, can you push an agenda, a Trumpian agenda, the border wall, remain in Mexico, Title 42, catch and uh, deport? Uh, would that be what, where you want to go if you're elected uh, today, tomorrow? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all about securing our borders um, and uh, giving uh, the, the fund that the border control uh, uh, agents they needed to increase the fund uh, to make sure they have the technology, the tools they need to secure our borders. We need to build a wall. We need to stop uh, sanctuary cities and we need to stop funding NGOs that encouraging people to come to our country illegally. Um, I am all about immigration. I would love um, people to come to this country. I immigrated to this country. My husband immigrated to this country. has to be done correctly. The way Biden did it, the way Thomas Wazi supported to open the border, it really put American people at risk. And I'm very much worried about this. You know, I just want to ask you another issue. I mean, you were IDF paratrooper, which is a remarkable thing. And thank you for your service there. I'm going to guess that a lot of people in your congressional district would like to see Israel take out Hamas, even though the Biden White House is, pro is a problem. Is that a second issue that you're working on? Absolutely. As a person who grew up in Israel and serving the IDF, uh, um, you know, an Israeli Defense Force, and I was in a paratrooper brigade, um, and I specialized in weapons, I can tell you how important uh, to support Israel. Israel is fighting a terrorist organization, a vicious evil, evil that, uh, you know, came and attacked Israelis, uh, innocent people, killed babies, um, murdered uh, children and uh, raped women and took hostages. We still have about six American hostages still at Hamas hands and over 130 uh, uh, Israelis are still there. Uh, we need to support Israel. Strong Israel is strong United States. And the fight that Israel is doing right now uh, against the terror is a fight that's needed because if you are not going to stop it over there, it's going to be here in our All front right. door. And it's going to be very dangerous. It's going to be too late. Mazi Pillip, good luck tomorrow. We appreciate you coming on the show. We wish you all the best of luck. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you for right. having me. Folks, I'll be right back with my last words. Good luck to Mazi Pillip in tomorrow's bellwether election. U.S. border security and Israeli security, both at stake in this key bellwether. Good luck to her. And... Liz McDonald, good luck to her. She's Thank got a whole show coming up. You.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.